So we're uh, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, last week, we noted how if we're going to move in these gifts of the Spirit spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, these charismatic gifts, because Paul uses that word charismata for this category of gifts, that it's going to require that we cultivate uh, an awareness of, a sensitivity to, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit speaks through whispers, not shouts, through nudges, not shoves. And if our brain space and our heart, our life is crowded with our own agendas, our own plans, our own schemes, things we want to do, uh, then there's not going to be space to notice when the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and wants us to move in different ways. Uh, we crowd him out. And so we end up being a people who, who have Jesus as Lord of our life in general, but we make all the decisions. What's wrong with this picture? It, it needs to be the case that we are always walking with an openness to the Lord, interfering with our life and changing our decisions, saying, no, I want you to do this instead. So that means creating a space, an ongoing space in our heart and mind where we can um, be listening, actively listening, leaning into the Holy Spirit. The good soldier, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, doesn't become overly preoccupied with civilian affairs, but is always seeking to please his enlisting officer. And we are here stationed behind enemy-occupied territory. We are, all who are disciples of Jesus are part of an army. There's a war going on. And we have our, the, the, the captain who brought us into this army uh, has directions. So keep your walkie-talkies on as you go by your ordinary life. Pay attention and give credibility to the nudges and the impressions, that sense that you get. Uh, and that's when we find, when we have that openness, that these gifts begin to operate in our life. Uh, we're entitling this message here, uh, uh, Trusting the Voice. Trusting the Voice. I kind of forgot what we're calling it. It's Trusting the Voice. And... Um, it comes out of 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be hovering on this passage here for the next couple of weeks. 7 through 11. Now to each one, Paul says, the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the unique category of gift here. He calls them manifestations of the Spirit. Is given for the common good. To one there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. And to another a message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. Uh, to, dis- uh, to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages. Uh, and to still another, the interpretation of those languages. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Pray with me here for a moment. Holy Spirit. I pray that as I give this message, I am open to your nudges and don't crowd you out with my own agendas. Have your way. And I pray, Lord, for every person in this auditorium and all the dear folks who are listening through podcasts or other means, that that you create space in our life and our heart to listen, to attend to this message. Use it to do what you determine to do. Apply it as you see it should be applied. And give us the heart to receive that to adjust, to change the way we do life, the way we do life in our head, uh, the way we do life in our will. And Lord, teach us about these gifts and make us open to them, uh, that you can use us to minister to others, to form your body, to be a functional body of Christ, the fingers, the hands, the feet, the nose, the eyes, that do what we're supposed to do, not just in general, but on a moment-by-moment basis. Holy Spirit, have your way. Only you and your authority has the power to build the kingdom. My words are useless without that. So I trust in your sufficiency here this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So there are several uh, lists of gifts 
that God gives the church uh, to form the body uh, in the New Testament. Uh, four different ones in, in particular. And they're all different, though they overlap. And, and if you look at all these different gifts, you'll find that some of the gifts are more uh, personality traits. The gift of service, the gift of generosity, the gift of mercy. Uh, they're just kind of things that, that your personality leans into. Others are more God-given abilities, like the gift of teaching or the gift of guidance, counseling, and things like that. They're, they're more your natural aptitudes. Um, the charismatic gifts are unique. They're not better than the other gifts. They're just different. Uh, in that, Paul speaks about them as, as manifestations of the Spirit. They're, they're things that the Spirit does through a person at a particular time. They're not inbuilt characteristics or personality traits. Uh, they're, they're, they're things that happen on occasion in the moment. So it's a message of wisdom. It's not that a person happens to be always uh, wise. It's not a personality trait. God downloads something that's unique to, to, to that person for that particular circumstance. Or word of knowledge. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're knowledgeable. It means that God gives you, a, a supernaturally imparts to you a, a, a piece of knowledge you otherwise wouldn't have. And so th- these are distinct kinds of gifts. Now, what's also unique about the charismatic gifts is that they're controversial. You don't find any controversy over the gift of generosity or mercy or hospitality or administration. People don't fight over that. But on these gifts, there's a lot of fighting. And one of the reasons why they're controversial is because these gifts can be and have been and are still being abused. In fact, they're being abused at Corinth. That's why Paul had to write to them and give them some instruction about this, because they were being abused. And I am certain that some folks in this auditorium and some folks listening through podcasts have been in context where they've been abused. You've seen the wacko, the crazy. And it could be the case that for some folks who come out of that background, well, you could be a little nervous right now. I can imagine someone thinking to themselves, gosh, I thought I liked this church and now they're going to go wacko on me. Got to get all that tongues and all that stuff in here. I can assure you we're not going to go wacko on you. Okay, so hang in there. And I can assure you that if, if you have triggers around this, you get nervous, you got concerns about this because you've seen it abused, I can assure you that I know exactly where you're coming from. I've been there and done that. First couple of years of my walk with God was, was in a radical Pentecostal church. And I've kind of been in charismatic circles most of my uh, um, duration as, as a follower of Jesus. And I've seen and I've been part of some really, really crazy stuff. Here's one example, and this is too strange to, to you know, sometimes uh, truth is stranger than fiction. And this, this is one of those kinds of stories. I was the uh, assistant pastor at this church while I was going through seminary. The pastor asked me to join him on staff. And so I led worship and I uh, visited shut-ins and things like that. But about a year after he brought me on, he took another job and left. And uh, left me with this church of 450 Pentecostals. And it took about 10 seconds for me to learn that there was a power struggle that was going on in this church. In fact, it goes back 50 years, primarily between two families, but they had gotten a lot of you know, uh, people aligned with them. So there's this power, this power struggle in this church. Things was about ready to pop. Um, and, um, uh, and so we're, we're candidating different pastors. And the whole thing was, you know, who gets to be on the board? Because that's what runs the church. And they always were having power struggles. Who gets to you know, be favored by the pastor? And then that group gets some power. Then the next pastor comes. The other one gets some power. And the whole history of this church is a stupid, stupid, silly two-year-old power struggle. Ugh. So we're candidating different pastors because I don't want to be the pastor of this church. I just want to get through seminary. And uh, one morning, as we have a candidate to try out, 
Uh, I'm leading the, the, the song service. We had hymns back then, so I would say turn to page 221 and hymn number 443 or whatever. And about three songs into this, all of a sudden, a lady stands up right in front of me, right in center, and says, Thus says the Lord, the board's supposed to resign. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Immediately, I, I was going to quickly try to go to the next hymn. Like, let's forget about that. Let's start singing. Uh, but uh, someone else stood up and said, That's a false prophecy. The board is of God. And someone else stood up and said, no, the first prophecy was true. That one was a false prophecy. Uh, the board should step down. And then, bam, there's this chain reaction. I mean, like 30, 40 people all of a sudden are standing up, counter-prophesying against one another, pointing fingers. And they're screaming. It gets louder and louder and louder. And then we, we had just converted this band of gypsies, um, about 30 of them, very passionate people. Um, and all of a sudden, for some reason, they all stand up. They always sat right in the front. They all stand up, and they always wore these robes. And, and, and they start screaming. And, and some of them start marching around the church. And, and I, I, the only thing I could make out that they're saying, one person was saying, they're, they're squelching the spirit, they're squelching the spirit, which I think was probably true at this point. Uh, but so the, so the gypsies are circling the church. People are screaming at one another. I start to giggle because this is like so funny. But then it gets funnier because the pastor who's candidating decides to show his pastoral authority by coming up to the pulpit, telling the organist to crank it up, and tries to get the congregation to sing, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father. And some people join in with that. So now imagine this, some people are singing peace, peace, while others are screaming at each other, and the gypsies are circling the auditorium screaming. Then the final straw where I lost it was, I'm, I, as I'm looking at this congregation, kind of giggling like, this is absolutely insane, I see out in the vestibule, the, the door that leads out to the, what we call a gathering area, all of a sudden, passes the door, two guys are fighting, fist fighting, they're, they're punching each other, and then I just lost it, this, this, this is Monty Python, this is, this is too funny to be true. So if, if you've been from wacko backgrounds, believe me, I understand where you're coming from, and, and after experiences like that, there's, you know, you might want to be saying, let's just get rid of it. I mean, don't deal with it. Just, and some people do that. Some churches do that. But see, if God's got gifts for us, I don't think just ignoring them is an option. Uh, what we need is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Uh, we want to have the gifts, but have them in sane and balanced ways and not get crazy wacko with them. Um, it's easier just to ignore them, but that is just not an option. So you've got some who are the wacko, charismatic Pentecostals. But then on the other extreme, you've got a large number of uh, churches out there that argue that the gifts aren't even for today. These are called dispensationalists or cessationists. Um, they believe that the gifts were just for the early church and that uh, as soon as we have the Bible, the gifts were supposed to cease. Some of you know John MacArthur, a uh, Bible teacher. He teaches a lot of good stuff. He, he's solid on a lot of areas. But he just came out with a book called Strange Fire. And, and he argues in that book that the gifts are ceased, stopped in the second century, and, or at the end of the first century, and that um, what's going on today are not the genuine gifts. They're just people making things up. Now, all the folks who hold this view, this is cessationist view, they, they use several kinds of arguments. One, the main one is, is this. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled or silenced. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now here's the argument. They argue that completeness refers to the completeness of Revelation, refers to the Bible. And so as soon as the, the last book of the Bible was written, 
Or some argue that as soon as it was all canonized in the second century, the, the gift stopped. It came to an end. Because when completeness comes, all that is in part is done away. Do you buy that argument? I don't. Um, there's some holes in it. For one thing, if completeness refers to the Bible, which there's no indication of that here, um, but if it did refer to the Bible, then everything that's done in part should be done away with, including knowledge, because we only know in part. I'm not sure what Paul means when he says knowledge will pass away, as though we're going to be totally ignorant in heaven. I don't know. But, but whatever he means, we still know in part, and that tells me that completeness hasn't come. We know some things. It hasn't stopped. Otherwise, you wouldn't know that the, that the gifts had ceased in the second century. That's knowing something. And if you know something, well, then the completeness hasn't come yet. You following me on this? You feeling me on this? Okay, so there's a, there's a problem with that. In fact, uh, a few verses later, in verse 12, Paul says this. He says, for, we, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And I think he's talking about self-knowledge, knowledge of others, and knowledge of God. Then, and he's still talking about completeness. When completeness comes, then we shall see face to face. We'll see God, we'll see ourselves, we'll see others as we really are face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So the partial knowledge of one another, ourselves and God will be done away with and we'll know each other exactly as we are and know God exactly as he is face to face. Now I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I, 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 I'm still getting to know my wife, you know, uh, and it's a lifelong process. I think I'm just still getting to know myself and I'm still, certainly still getting to know God. I, I still see through a, a mirror in, dimly. I, I think that's true of all of us. But that means that whatever Paul means by completeness, it hasn't happened yet. We still are in this partial time period. Uh, one other thing is this. Whenever, whenever Paul talks about the fulfillment or completeness, he's referring to the second coming of Jesus when the Lord will return and set up his kingdom. And, and uh, that is what I'm confident he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. And a confirmation of that is found in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Where Paul says this, he says, The testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. When he preached, it was confirmed among them. And he says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. So Paul here is saying that one of the reasons, one of the motives he has for, for, for teaching them and preaching to them is that they, so they don't lack any gift. And that would include the charismatic gifts. He wants all these gifts to be functioning until the Lord returns, which tells you that the Lord's returning is the completeness that he's talking about, which means, folks, the gifts of the Spirit are for us here today. Uh, I'm sure there are people who just fabricate things, make things up, manufacture things. I've, I've seen that. But that, that doesn't mean there aren't valid uses of it. In fact, I've seen valid and stunningly uh, confirming uses of it uh, throughout my ministry. I'll share a little bit about that in, in, in a second. So, so the option isn't to ignore these gifts or uh, you know, just poo-hoo them. We need to deal with them. We need to uh, uh, be open to exercising them. But we do it in a balanced way. And not in the way of a, a wacko kind of congregation where we're going to argue with one another about it. Now here's part of what we mean by balanced. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's not writing to a church of this size. He's thinking of house churches because they all met in houses. They didn't have special buildings back then. And, and these congregations would have been, at most, 20 to 30 people. So when Paul, and this is important to remember for everything Paul says, he's applying it to a group of 20 or 30 people. The church at Corinth consisted of all the house churches that were at Corinth. And see, the gifts of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, operate very well in those kind of contexts. 
We have 20 to 30 people who are living life together. They know one another. They minister to one another. The gifts operate in beautiful ways in those contexts. But when you get a large event like this, and 99% of the people don't know 99% of the people, well, you're just asking for trouble. They don't operate well in this kind of environment. Um, part of the reason is because Paul says that when, whenever the gift, uh, gift is used, others are supposed to discern. He says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, let the others discern. So you discern, is this of God? You discern, does this apply to me or does it apply to somebody else? And it all presupposes that people know one another and are sharing life together. They operate very well in those contexts. In a large group like this, you can't discern. Because you know, if someone stands up and says something, you don't know if this person's of God or not or anything about them. There's no kind of process you can go through to discern things. And you find, for this reason, that when the gifts are used in small group context, they operate very well, and the good that can come from their appropriate operation is huge, and the harm that can come if they're used inappropriately is small. Whereas if you have a large group like this, the good that can come is going to be very small because most people don't know one another, but the harm that can come is huge. So it's like this. In this church I just told you about that had that wacko session, um, as I'm an interim pastor going through a huge educational process trying to keep this church from exploding sky high, uh, one time a person stood up and gave this prophecy, and this is pretty much verbatim. I am the fourth person of the Trinity. Which mathematically doesn't work. <laughs> but that's what he said. I am the fourth person of the Trinity, and I've caught the Father, Son, and Spirit conspiring against me with the devil, so I fired them. So now he alone is it. I am the I, he said. And now he's going to send a flood, which, as I recall, the Lord said he will never do again. So uh, a couple problems with this prophecy, quote unquote. So here's the thing. This guy stands up and says this. Um, at best, it's embarrassing. Uh, what do you do with this? How, the, the, the whole service gets hijacked. How do I go and I'll preach a sermon on peace or something after that? You, you have to take time out, explain things to the degree that you can explain things. Um, you know, it's, it's, some people are going to think this guy is of the devil. He's, he's maybe possessed or something. It turns out, I learned shortly after this, like after the service I found out, this guy had a mental disorder. I didn't know this. And when he takes his medication, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. But sometimes he thinks he's led by God not to take his medication, and then it's outer space. Uh, and this was one of his outer space moments. Um, but see, most of the people don't know that. I didn't know that. So it's like, what do you do with this? You know, I, 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 how do you respond to this? And the best case scenario is that the service pretty much gets all hijacked. Uh, uh, worst case, people think he's possessed and things like that. Now see, if, if this guy, his name is Eric, if he's in a house church, a small community, and we all need communities like this, and, and he gives a prophecy like this, the folks are going to say, Eric, you haven't been taking your meds, have you? <laughs> We've talked about this. Come on, let's take the meds. Uh, and, and see, it becomes a ministry moment, and there's no harm done because they know him. But in a larger group context where you don't know him, well, it, the harm that can be done is great. The good that comes of it is, is very small. So in our, in our view, the gifts of the Spirit, these charismatic gifts, are for uh, house church context, small group context, interpersonal ministry. But also, we see them operating in Jesus' life in, in a personal ministry way. As we go about our life, we should be open to God using us to, do, to, to minister to people one-on-one uh, using these gifts. They operate very well in that context as well. So that's our understanding of what is a uh, balanced use of these gifts. So now I want to talk about the, the first two of the gifts that Paul mentions. A word of knowledge, or a message of knowledge, and a word of wisdom. The message of knowledge is just this. 
Uh, God supernaturally gives you a piece of information that you otherwise wouldn't know. And he does it for kingdom purposes, for the common good. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit are not like ooh-ah cool things that we're supposed to you know, be fascinated in, in and of themselves. That's, that's the occult. These aren't parlor tricks. Uh, they're always for the purpose of love, for extending the Jesus-looking kingdom. And to that end, if we're open to it, God will download some information to us. Now, it usually comes in a nudge and a whisper, and we've got to be paying attention if we're going to get it. But, but, but he does that. It may be something that's just for us, to let us know, kind of adjust how we respond to things. Or it may be something we're supposed to share. It doesn't mean we're necessarily supposed to share it. The word logos there can mean it's just a word. It can be a word to you, or it can be a word that's given to you for others. So I don't like the translations that, that, that uh, translated an utterance of knowledge because it's not necessarily supposed to be uttered. Maybe it's just for you. Jesus in his ministry, we see this operating, where sometimes the gospel, uh, gospels will tell us that Jesus knew their inner hearts. He knew their thoughts. Now, he's a full human being like we are. He's fully God, but he became a full human being. So he has to rely on the Holy Spirit as much as we do. And so if he knew things that humans otherwise wouldn't know, that was the, a, a message of wisdom. And he's perfectly open to the Spirit, so he gets this. But he didn't share it with anybody. It was just for him. It helped him respond to the situation at hand. Um, So word of knowledge is is something that God downloads to people. It's still available today, whether it's for someone else or whether it's just for you. This is something that is still available today. And it's something that, when it's used right, can be so beautiful. I've seen this operate in some marvelous ways. I could give you hundreds of examples. I'll just have time to share maybe two or three. Um, Last year, there's a man who comes to Wilder Hills Church, and he shared this with me. Uh, In the middle of one afternoon, uh, out of the blue, he all of a sudden gets this sense, an urge, an impression, a nudge, to call this guy that he knew in high school. They were friends in high school, but, you know, as things happen, you kind of drift apart. And so he hadn't talked to this guy for almost a decade, but here in the middle of the day, for no good reason, he feels he's supposed to call this guy. So he obeys, and he calls this guy out of the blue. Now, here's what was going on with this guy. This guy had gotten, his wife had divorced him a year earlier. Out of depression, he had turned to drinking heavily. He had got a DWI with his child in the back seat, which means he lost his license, but also lost all custody rights to his child. Uh, He, because of that, got fired from his job. And that just increased his drinking, which was leading him in a complete bottomless spiral downward. And at the moment this guy called, he was contemplating suicide. Kingdom coincidence. What that did, what happened was that this guy was now in, got to be in, involved in this man's life, got to walk alongside of him because he'd isolated himself from everybody else, uh, got him into a sobriety community. Uh, this guy had, uh, was a believer at one time, but had totally lapsed. At this point, wasn't believing in God. But the timing of this call was so obviously of God that it convinced him that God exists and that God cares about him. So it brought him back to faith. So it saved his life, but it also saved his salvation. Uh, and and, and uh, the result of the whole thing was that the guy's life was back on track. And now these two became very, very good kingdom buddies. Listen to those nudges. Listen to those nudges. Respond to those things. If it's something Jesus would do, or at least if it's not something Jesus wouldn't do, then do it. And you'll find sometimes, maybe not even usually, but sometimes, bam, kingdom coincidences happen. Uh, when I was at Bethel, teaching full-time, this is a number of years ago, but a student came into my office, and she was just livid, which happened with some frequency when I taught at Bethel. Um, and um, we had just had a conversation about providence, and what does that all mean? And I was suggesting the possibility, just throwing it out there, 
to talk about that maybe God doesn't control everything. Maybe human free will and angelic free will has a say-so in what comes to pass. And we're having a good discussion about it. But see, she was of the conviction that every single thing that happens is exactly what God ordained. So she came to my office to argue this. And she was just machine gunning at me. And as she was machine gunning at me, it's why I was wrong. Um, I've got, I can't call it an impression, but like two words popped in my head. Uh, it, it was the word two days ago, I guess that's three words, but two phrases, three days ago and rape. No, two days ago and rape. It just boom, it was there. Now, I, like I said last week, you always got to remember you could be wrong. It could just be your brain kind of thing. So I didn't go, thus says the Lord, two days rape. You know, that wouldn't have been helpful. Um, but I, I look for an opportunity to kind of float this out there. Just like, see what this is about. Um, and so finally, when she came up for air and stopped talking for a second, I said to her, okay, so you're saying that, let's say, for example, let's say you were raped two days ago. That was what God ordained for you? And as soon as I said that, she froze. Her lips started quivering. Her eyes got all full of tears. And she just muttered, how did you know? Uh, and it turns out two days earlier, she had been date raped by a guy who was a son of a bigwig. And so she didn't know what to do about this. She hadn't told a soul that, that this had happened to her. Um, and, and what that word did is it, it, it dislodged her. It opened up an avenue to begin to talk about this, to begin to bring healing into her life, get her into counseling about this, uh, begin to work towards justice with regard to this perpetrator so he doesn't do this again. Um, and, and it just brought the kingdom into this situation. But it was all because of this sudden little... It, it wasn't overwhelming. I could have easily ignored it. Uh, it was just there. I, I, boom, it popped in there. And, and I responded to it. Pay attention to the nudges, the whispers, the, the, the gentle pushes that, of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes they really land. One more example. And this is one I've shared before, uh, but it bears repeating because it's had such an impact on the church. About 14 years ago, the leadership of Wilderness Church was getting a lot of confirmation that our identity was about being a bridge. A bridge to people in God, uh, across uh, socioeconomic lines, ethnic groups, were just to be a bridge identity, tearing down walls and building bridges. And part of what we were called to be a bridge on was bridging the suburb and the city. Resources of the suburb going into the city. We felt that was a, a central part of our identity. So we were having a prayer meeting. The pastors were all praying. Uh, we were also at this time looking for a building. Because we felt like we were called to, to really anchor ourselves into some community. In fact, we had looked at this building a couple of years earlier. But they wanted $7 million for this thing. And we had a fundraiser look at our books and said, you'll be lucky if you raise three or 400000 So it's kind of out of our price range. So we just forgot about it, ignored it. Now we're having this prayer meeting. In the middle of this prayer meeting, Janice, our executive pastor, got a picture. Uh, this was one of the first ones she ever got. And she's had a number of since then. And some of them have landed in spectacular ways. This is one of them. She got a picture. It was a bizarre picture. It was, she saw a target in these concentric circles. And there was a spear going in, laying on the target, uh, pointing to a specific spot on the inner circle. And she made a big point on this. It's not going into it like you would shoot a bow and arrow at it. It's, it's laying on, on the, 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 the rings. And it's pointing to a specific spot on this inner circle. Now, that's all she got. So we prayed about that. We talked about that. And no one had any idea of what this woman is talking about. Sometimes you share this stuff and you look kind of strange. In fact, Janice is always like, I know this is going to sound goofy. I know I look weird. It's like, okay, we already know that. You don't have to press it anymore. You're weird. <laughs> but here, here's what happened. Now, 
I, our idea is, is that, that when, when you get a picture, a word, or impression, and you share it with others, and there's no immediate understanding of it, just walk with your eyes open. Don't forget it, and walk with your eyes open. And, and sometimes you'll find, uh, sooner or later, it gets confirmed. What happened here was, several days after Jan's got this picture, someone left this map in our office. We were at Roseland Avenue. It was this huge map. It was laid out on a table. And it was one of these maps that had these concentric circles going around, out, like this, out of St. Paul. And Janice takes one look at this thing and she goes, that's it. That, that's what I saw. And then she puts her finger on where the arrow was, the exact spot. And it's the intersection of St. Paul and Maplewood right there. And guess what? That's where this building is. And uh, it's like, whoa. And we took this to be God saying, you got to go for that building. Now, I don't think this was a prophecy that this, is, this was for sure going to happen because you find in the Bible sometimes God gives prophetic words, but people still have free will and make decisions and, and, and that adjusts what comes to pass. But it was a word about we're supposed to right now move in this direction. Now, the common sense says, well, look, at I want way too much money. And, and we found out there's a bunch of other obstacles that, that, that would keep us from, from getting this building as well. But because we felt this was a, a, a word from God, we moved in this We just began to make phone calls, began to you know, ask questions. Turns out this building had been lowered to $4 million, which still was like eight times more than we could raise. Uh, but uh, bottom line is, about a, two dozen miracles later, we got this building, praise God. And we wouldn't have taken another look at this if it wasn't for this kind of, uh, th- th- this word that uh, came through Janice. Amen. It's, and this happens to be the property line between, our, our, this lot is the property line between St. Paul and Maplewood. So the very identity of this building, the location of this building, confirms this identity of, that God's called us to be this kind of bridge sort of thing. So, so pay attention to the nudges and respond to them. When you get a piece of information that pops in your head, uh, if, if acting on it, or saying it, sharing it, first of all, ask, are you supposed to share it? And if you are, uh, um, uh, ask, is this something that, that uh, Jesus would say? Or at least it's not, not something that he wouldn't say. Always remember when you get this. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to share it necessarily. So, so consider, pray about how you're supposed to use this. Always remember that it might not be of God. Now don't go in your head like, is it or is it not? Because as I said last week, it doesn't matter if it's something that's consistent with the character of Jesus. Um, but uh, that means that when we share it, don't do this, thus says the Lord thing. I'm so sick of that. It's, you get all King Jamesy on people. God says. Look, if it's of God, you don't need to augment it with your voice change. God says here, you must go take a shower. Uh, no, you don't need to do that. If it's of God, it's going to land. It's, you, can say it with, you can say it tentatively. I'm wondering if, or I, I, I'm, sensing, I'm sensing. What's true is that you're sensing something. See, that leaves it open as to whether or not it's of God or not. I'm sensing this. You know, does this land with you? And if it's of God, man, it will land. You don't have to try to make it happen. The other thing is that when you receive a word like this, you get a strong impression that God has something that you're supposed to be sharing with somebody else. Um, do it in a Christ-like way, in a submissive way, and in a way that is for the common good. Don't try to add to it with your interpretation. I see this happening with folks a lot, where just, just share what you got. Janice just shared the picture. It didn't make any sense, but just share the picture. Don't share what you think it means, because that mucks it up. Uh, you know, you're mixing up your interpretation. You might block the right interpretation because you just infused yours. So just share what you have. Share it humbly. Share it in a Christ-like way uh, and, and with a certain humility and tentativeness. And if it's of God, it can land in spectacular ways. Okay, now, now let's talk about a message of wisdom. If a message of knowledge is about what is true, a message of wisdom is about what to do. 
Uh, a message of wisdom is a supernaturally imparted piece of insight that the all-wise God can give us if we're open to it, that maybe will show us how to move forward in a conflicted situation or when facing a problem or having various options. What is the wise thing to do? We need to ask God for that. Uh, James says we, we're, we're not to just be going about it in our own natural mind. We're to be asking God for wisdom, who loves to pour out his wisdom on his people. Of course he does. He wants to lead us and direct us. The same way my mind wants to direct my body, God wants to be leading and directing us. And he wants us to have his wisdom about things. Um, we see this also operating in the ministry of Jesus. He had a wise way of responding to people. People were always trying to trip him up, thin out the crowd by sucking him into their political questions. Because then, as now, political questions are often very, very divisive. And so if, he, if Jesus weighed in on them, he'd lose half the crowd. But Jesus always had the wisdom of God on how to respond to that and not get sucked in. And he would turn their political questions into kingdom of God questions and put them back on them. That's because he was attending to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit. Not operating out of his human knowledge, but open to the wisdom of God. And when we do this, sometimes you'll find it can have incredible results. Here's one example. Um, I don't do counseling. I'm just not called to do that. Uh, we've got a lot of great counselors in our care area. But I do try to help people when they come up after service and have a question or something like that. And so this was uh, sometime last year, probably eight, nine months ago, that uh, a couple came up with this problem they wanted my input on. The problem was this. Uh, the mother of the son, this was a fairly newly married couple, and the mother of the son was just overbearing, intrusive, and obnoxious. Uh, she would come over all the time, and the worst problem was that she always was complaining about the wife. Uh, this wife didn't cook enough, didn't cook good enough, didn't keep the house up, didn't do laundry enough, didn't dress up for her husband when he comes home from a hard day at work, and didn't initiate sex enough. She even went there. Um, and um, she was just constantly badgering this, this poor woman. Uh, so this woman feels like, oh, I married a mommy's boy, and nothing's going to be good enough for, for her precious little boy. And she's feeling just badgered and put down. You can understand why. Uh, she got to the point where she wanted the son to sever the relationship, at least for a time. This is dysfunctional, she said, and this is interfering with our marriage. And, and so you've got to cut the umbilical cord here, dude, and, and we've got to make it on our own. And so sever the relationship. But the son's saying, wait a minute, the Bible says honor your mother and father. We can't do that. I granted she's dysfunctional, but, but, but you know, that's not the loving way to, to, to respond to her. So now these two are going at it. First, the wife and the mother are going at it. Now, these two are going at it. And it's causing all sorts of havoc. Now, initially, as I'm hearing this, I, I begin to get kind of angry on behalf of this wife because I have seen way too often marriages, early young marriages, disrupted and sometimes even destroyed because the in-laws won't leave them alone. And it takes me off. Parents, let them go. <laughs> let them go. Let them screw up. Let them raise kids wrong. They, they have their own life. Don't try to raise their kids through them. No, let them go. Uh, and and work, work it out on their own. And so I, I initially had this kind of anger. But something in my... Something... Something. Holy Spirit. I had a check in my spirit about something. And I asked a random question that didn't seem to fit. I said to the guy, what does your dad think about this? And they were like, looking at me like, why... What's the price of petunia in China? What's that got to do with anything? But I said, no, what does your father think? And so the son responded by saying, well, he doesn't think anything of it because he's gone. Three years ago, he left my mom for this younger church, uh, younger secretary, not church secretary, younger secretary, this bodacious blonde, and had your typical 46-year-old midlife crisis where you start 
wearing a cowboy hat, smoke Marlboro cigarettes, drive a Harley, and have the cute chick, you know, riding with you. Get original. I mean, I've seen that so many times. Like, at least if you're going to sin, sin originally. Do, do something different. But I don't know what it is about Marlboro cigarettes. It, it, guys went through midlife crisis, tank, go for Marlboro. Man, cigarette, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, anyways, um, here's the thing. As soon as the, as soon as the guy shared that, I, my, I went from having this anger to this, my heart started to break for this lady. And, and I even got kind of choked up as I'm thinking about her. And, I, and out of that pain came, I think, a word of wisdom. I, this was not of me. I said to the wife, and I was cracking as I was sharing this. I, I, I said, have you ever thought of the possibility? I didn't say, thus says the Lord, because I'm not sure of this. I'm never sure. So I, I just gently offered this as a possibility. Have you ever considered the possibility that maybe your, your, your mother-in-law is trying to have a do-over with you? And they again looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, is it possible that she blames herself for this guy leaving? Maybe on some level she's thinking, if only I had kept the house better, if only I'd cooked more, if only I'd cooked better, if only I'd, I had taken care of the kids and not had him take care of the kids all the time, if only I'd, I'd, I'd dressed up more and we had sex more often, if only, if only, if only, then he wouldn't have left. So it's her fault. And maybe the pain and guilt of that is driving her to try to actually protect you. It's dysfunctional. But what if she, out of the most sincere, loving motives, is trying to protect you from experiencing this? And the minute I said that, the wife began to get teared up. And she said, you know, she has said a number of times, he's going to leave me if I don't become a better wife. And then the son and her both immediately had this confirmation about this. They hugged each other right there. And the wife started to cry now and said, oh, oh your poor mother. Now see, it just totally reframed everything. It reframed everything because this mother-in-law went from being this this hostile uh, this, this, this hostile aggressor who needs to be rejected. She went from being that to now being this dysfunctional but wounded victim who needs to be healed, and that completely changes how you respond to a person. And I know this did not come from me. Uh, I, I, left to my own, I would have been sucked into the anger, and my response would have probably come out of that anger. But the Holy Spirit was able to wedge in there and share a very different kind of word. Now, what happened, they told me about a month later, they sat down with the, uh, his mother, the son's mother, and they just wanted to have an honest talk. And the first thing the wife did was she thanked the mother for trying to protect her and for having her best interest at heart. And that melted the mother because it was the first positive interaction these two had ever had. She got thanked for this because I know that you mean well, I... I'd, it's, it, the way you do it, it doesn't always land, but, but I know that your, your heart is in the right place, and thank you for trying to protect me from this. And then they spent some time trying to help her see that it wasn't her fault that this guy walked out. And the son describes it as kind of that scene in Goodwill Hunting that many of you have seen where they would say, it's not your fault. And she would say, I know, I know it's not my fault. And they go, no, it's really not your fault. She goes, I know, I, I, I know, oh, I know. No, it, it, it's not your fault. Good guys, decent husbands don't walk out on their families just because uh, they don't keep the house well enough or don't have sex enough or don't cook enough or don't cook good enough or, or don't do the laundry enough. No, they stick around. Uh, this is not on you. This is on him. And she kept on saying, okay, I know, I know. But eventually she, she, she broke down. And she admitted that on some level she had been beating herself up. Thinking that if only, if only, if only, if only, he wouldn't have left me. Because that's exactly the message her mom gave her. It's the wife's job to keep the husband around. And you do it by being the perfect wife, cooking and all the, all the rest. So that's the message she had. And it was now just beating her up. And that's what was motivating her to try to protect uh, this daughter-in-law from experiencing the same thing. And so she was able to get in some counseling and get that issue addressed. 
It all came because of a nudge. Because of a nudge. Uh, folks, we need to pay attention. Lean into the Holy Spirit who will offer us these pieces of, nudge, pieces of knowledge and pieces of wisdom with a still small voice. But it means, it means, to do that, folks, we've got to be a people who create space in our life, in our mind, in our hearts. Uh, that are, amidst our, our agendas and our plans, there's space reserved where our walkie-talkie's on and we're listening to our, our enlisting officer. And if we're doing that, there'll be times... No, no more often than not, you, you don't see things like that. These are pretty spectacular. Um, sometimes you just say a word and that's, that's it. Our job isn't to produce an outcome. Our job is just to obey. But if you do that and include some spontaneity in your life, sometimes you'll find spectacular confirmations that this is of God. So it's very hard for John MacArthur to convince me that a word of knowledge and word of wisdom isn't operating today. Folks, I've seen it. And, and it, it, it's beautiful what God does. Because the reality is, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. He's, he's, he's the same Spirit that was back in the New Testament times. Uh, he's, he's still the Spirit who speaks. He's still the Spirit who wants to empower his people. Still the Spirit who wants to move his people in different direction. Jesus still wants a body that operates uh, in conjunction with the head. And when we do that, now we become conduits to begin to bring God's healing and hope and wholeness into this world that is so desperately fractured. And that, that at the end of the day, is what the kingdom is all about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stay open. All right. Yes. Hallelujah. I'd like to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to go into another time of worship here. Um, we worship God not just with our song, but with our life, right? To ascribe worth to God. And the main indicator of our true values is, uh, is our money. They always say, if you want to know what a person values, ask, look at what, what they spend money on. So the goal of a disciple is to reflect God's ultimate worth in our life by how we steward his resources. And so we just submit it all to the Lord. That's all we ever ask people to do. Submit it all and follow his uh, leading and direction. Uh, and then remember what we said several weeks ago, that worship, a song becomes worship to the degree, but only to the degree that we are 100% invested in, in the moment. Our minds, our mouth, our hands, our legs. And so I call on us right now to make the choice to focus on who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Uh, with all your imagination and with all your voice, with all your body, offered up to him. So Holy Spirit, will you come now during this time of worship and uh, glorify Jesus, move among your people, you inhabit the praises of your people. Uh, do your work here in this place as we now focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.